This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. I mean, I, I interact with a lot of blockchain crypto people and companies and so on. And what has struck me right from the start is how young they are. Um, you've got just wildly ambitious, um, incredible, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds building these companies. That's Jason Potts reflecting on the young people that are defining what we might call a digital financial wild west. Jason is my guest today on Central Station. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik. Jason Potts is a distinguished professor of economics at RMIT University and co-director of the Blockchain Innovation Hub at RMIT. He'll also be a keynote speaker at the 2021 Association of Independent Schools New South Wales ICT Management and Leadership Conference. If the words blockchain and Bitcoin cause you some confusion, then you're not alone. And that's because it's about more than just currency or money. These are emerging technologies which are likely to change the way we think about storing and exchanging value forever. And for the school students of today, they're growing up into a world which is seeing unprecedented innovation in this space. At the same time, subjects at school like economics and business studies are enormously popular. What does all this mean for those students as they pursue those subjects? Today's discussion is about something complex, exciting, highly innovative, and it's capturing attention the world over. And because of that, we're going to bring this to you in two parts. I started by asking Jason, just how does a young person today begin to make sense of a technology like this, particularly when it's not regulated? I think it's fair to say that students growing up today see the world as being incredibly regulated. So when they go to school, there are rules, their curriculum is regulated, someone outside of the school is saying, here's what you have to learn. If you do business studies or economics, here's the curriculum, here's how business works, this is how economics works. Uh, Then they have to pass exams, which are regulated by somebody else. Then they go and get jobs. Jobs are regulated by all kinds of regulations in terms of if if it's a profession, then you'll have professional standards. Then they get paid and then they have to pay taxes. That's regulated. Then someone comes along and says, hey, have you heard this new type of money? It's called Bitcoin. Guess what? It's not regulated. Or maybe not in the same way that your current life is regulated. How is a student moving through school supposed to make sense of that? Yeah, it's a very good question. And, um, you know, regulations are everywhere. There are rules that are imposed to create order and standards and so on, therefore your benefit and so on. Um, the problem with them is that they restrict innovation. They make it hard to do innovative new things, you know, colouring outside the line. Um, so you know, often there's this real tension between entrepreneurial creation, um, particularly in the tech space, and regulatory boxing and constraints um, and the tension between what is good for a society to create order and, and predictiveness versus the ability to create and create new things. So we've always, we always have this tension. Um, what's interesting about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain in general is that it came out of the open source software movement. Like it's, it, it, had, a, it had a history. It didn't just appear from nowhere. Yeah. Um, cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain technology are software. They're, they're digital. Um, but, and they're made in a way that they're, they're built by, um, you know, in practice, one person, Satoshi Nakamoto, or a small team will, will build them. But they're, they're built using a community ethos of open source software. Um, all, of the, all of the sort of source code 
that sits in the, in the entire crypto space, with, 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 with only a handful of exceptions, is open source. Anyone can take it, fork the code, rebuild it, reuse it. So there's a, there's a real sort of community value of openness and sharing that is at the basis of this, of, of this notion. Now, um, what that means is that the regulations here aren't legislative regulation coming from government and law with the force of, you know, do the thing or you go to prison. Um, these are regulations that are built around community expectations and norms. Here's the thing I built, you're welcome to use it, but these are the ways I'd like you to use it, or you know, these are the rules going forward. So I think the first point to note is that you know, um, we do have regulations in this space, but there's social norms about the governance, the use of a shared technology. And that's the first sort of really interesting thing to note about what, you know, what is Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency, blockchain, the technology, is it's a shared technology. It's something that's been built, pushed out into society, um, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto, who invented Bitcoin, the technology, gave it to us and then just disappeared. It's <laughs> an incredible thing. Or whether um, he existed in the first place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, he, she, they, you know, I've heard all sorts of speculation <laughs> about what that is. But it, it's, it's an incredible way to just to think about how we build technologies and how we build, um, you know, the, the sorts of resources um, together is, is that, um, we have this, you know, um, cryptocurrencies come out of open source software. Open source software is a way of building valuable shared digital resources in such a way that they can be repurposed and reused. And the reason that open source software is like that is precisely because you don't know what purpose you're going to put it to. So mm. you can't prescriptively regulate the use of something when you have no idea what someone's going to use it for. And that's the source of the creativity and value and so on is that um, you know, a lot of the power of the Bitcoin, the crypto space is that it's, you know, it's a code base that's been pushed out and anyone, anyone at all with a computer, with access to the internet, um, with the capability to build on that is free to download it, repurpose these things, push them back out again. And that's an incredible thing. So do you find then that there's, in, in the people that you deal with, do you find then that there's this idea that the responsibility of regulation then sits with the individual. So rather than being controlled or governed by an external source or by lawmakers as such, suddenly there's a, a shift where people think, oh, hold on a second, this is empowering me to then think about how I want to shape the world. It's a yeah. little bit like the ultimate collaborative group project. Is that a useful thing yeah, to be able to... Yeah, that's a great description of it. I, Colin, I, I like that a lot. And um, like this is, this is what we're seeing in... Um, all crypto projects are projects. They're, they're a community. They're a community of users, pe the people that are, are using the, you know, whatever the cryptocurrency is or the, the application or the, the DAP or whatever. Um, it's a community of users, which means, and, you know, there are no laws. There's no legislation in the space. I mean, that's, that's the, you know, the, the terrifying <laughs> and amazing thing about it. It's the Wild West. <laughs> it is, it is a wild, you know. Now, there's, there's a lot of calls for, you know, for, to create sort of laws in this space because there is some, you know, genuine concern about, you know, fraud and crime and so on. Mm. But the broader question of, of governance, of how we create, you know, how do, you know, a group of people are going to come together and do a thing. How do we responsibly do this? How do we create the rules about what we consider acceptable use, what we consider don't, with an emphasis on the we, where the we here is the community of users. So, um, you know, all crypto projects start small and then some, 
most, many of them grow, some of them don't, but as they grow, they're dealing with this problem of an expanding community of users and stakeholders that they need to create governance mechanisms for. And that's been the big story. I mean, that's been a major part of what has been happening in the crypto space is this question of private governance, of a community mm. having to figure out rules and then enforce those rules. Um, one of the major use cases of, of blockchain technology is voting, as it turns out, um, you know, enabling um, tokenize you know, users having crypto tokens to be able to make voting decisions within the community about changes to the underlying protocol or the underlying code base or the underlying uses and so on. And um, you know, what we're seeing then is that um, you know, democracy uh, as you know, a millennia old social technology for community decision-making, you know, where people turn up with their identity and you vote on a card to, to do a thing and then um, we're seeing that, you know, that, that social political behavior in the real world is replicating itself in the blockchain space, but it's doing it through tech. It's doing it through this ability to create community governance where you've got um, various stakeholders will vote in proportion to the number of tokens they have, or you know, that's a plutocracy, or voting in relation to the number of um, of, of you know, whether they might have a single coin that, that, that replicates democracy and that's mm. in that case. But we've got here this sort of tech, this rapid tech exploration of community and collective decision-making that is taking place, um, you know, um, entirely as an experimental, you know, you know, vast experimental project. And it's, it's incredible to watch. It's, terrifying to you know that's, that's <laughs> some things but I mean, I, I mean what's interesting is you've got the situation where a lot of young people don't really care a lot about politics um or there's you know there's a sense that this is a sense that there's some sort of drifting away that that's 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 for other people um but yet the community message boards and reddit and and so on and, and all of the sort of ways in which you've got um people you know, trying to sort of build coalitions and make you know and try and, and and you know create community governance in this space is actually just incredible to see. So, which you know, it makes me very very optimistic about about this space. Well, that's very interesting because I wanted to the the fact that you're optimistic because I want to come back to that a little bit later. But let's talk about something that the students might find important. Perhaps they're not so interested in the politics, but I'm sure they're interested in the cash. <laughs> or in the money side of things. I've actually heard it said that you can't confiscate Bitcoin in the way that you can other traditional types of money. And, and I guess something, you know, from a, uh, like an economics perspective, we see things like inflation eroding our purchasing power. We see taxation where governments can sort of reach into our pockets and take money out. We see things like uh, low interest rates uh, forcing us to speculate into other areas of... Um, or other asset classes to uh, to try and make some form of investment gain because leaving your money in the bank is 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 costing you money. Is Bitcoin unconfiscatable? Is that a correct understanding? Yeah, it, it is. Um, it, it is in a strict technical sense. If you hold your private keys and you haven't shared your private keys with anyone else, it is absolutely unconfiscatable. That is, I mean, that is the basic value proposition. It doesn't have intermediation in it. Now, a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people will use a wallet in such a way that or they're leaving their Bitcoins on an exchange where their private keys are technically sitting with the exchange. So the exchange could confiscate it. Um, there's 
you know, a lot of the ability, a lot of the opportunities for crime and the opportunities for loss of, of, of cryptocurrencies are usually coming from the entry and exit points where the real world is interacting with blockchains. And you know, there'll be some messy aspects of that. So there's that. Um, but to your first point, the, you know, can the government take my Bitcoins? No, it can't, as, as, as can anyone else, unless you let it, unless, <laughs> unless you, you know, you, your keys, your coins. Um, so the government can force you to give it its, your keys. Um, um, no, that's, that's a possibility. That would, that would be horrib horribly criminal abuse of government power. Or the government could um, issue a, a writ um, requesting that you hand over your keys. Yeah. And again, now that's an issue for the courts and the law. But again, unless you actually agree to do that, um, you know, whether under duress or not, but unless you do that, um, they have no power to do that. Now, that's very different to the modern financial system, where if you hold money um, in a bank, it's not your money. It's the bank's money and the bank's looking after it for you. Yeah. It's not your money. Um, if you hold any digital um, you know, money, um, you know, it's um, with you know, the tax departments and so on, um, that's their money that you're using, yeah. um, strictly speaking. So um, you know, now, the, the, you know, the, the way of describing all of that is it's just intermediated. It's intermediated by the banks, it's intermediated by governments, and therefore you need to trust those intermediaries, which mostly we do and mostly it works. Um, you know, that's that's we live in a society where we need to trust counterparties and um, other other organisations, whether they're corporate or government, um, to deal with a lot of the aspects of our lives. And it's not just money; it's also identity, it's also stock registries, it's also um, all of the assets. You know, the, the reason that you know you own your house or your car is because there's a government registry that's got a, you know, a description of that and your name next to it. And that's, that's, what, that's what ownership is. Right? Like my car um, registration. <laughs> yeah. says, this piece of paper says you own that car. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 you know, we've, we've just gotten used to that and we don't think that's weird anymore. But it's, you know, that's, a, that's a social institution that relies on trust and intermediation. You have to trust those counterparties to look after that information and those claims on that. Um, that's what it means to describe a cryptocurrency as... Sort of trustless or disintermediated or when we're having this discussion about not your keys not your um, coin is that the the what blockchain technologies bring to the to the social and economic and political world is an ability to have decentralized disintermediated economic goods um, i control my money i'm not relying on the banks to do it i control my assets um you know if it, a tokenized asset, such as an NFT or something like that, I control it. There's not a subsequent registry out there that some other party is controlling it. So, you know, we can describe that, that is sometimes described as trustlessness. Um, right. Okay. In that sense, yeah. So, currency is also described sometimes as being a hard currency as opposed to uh, printed money. So, Printed money is something that is, or money printing at the moment is something that we hear a lot about in the financial news. And I've heard Bitcoin described as hard currency as opposed to, say, the US dollar, which is a fiat currency, which yeah. is at the moment being printed ad nauseum, it would seem. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the questions that I have about that is how do we start to talk to students about the fact that they are actually in a fiat world and is there a difference between 
say something like the Australian dollar and the US dollar and something like Bitcoin, is is it fair to say that Bitcoin is a hard currency? Yeah, it's it's, it's a very good question. It's a, it's an important question, um, and it takes us deep into the heart of economics. So, the the first uh, the first point I want to suggest here is is that. There's two ways a government can, I mean, so governments exist to provide public goods and to provide public goods, they need to raise revenue. There's two ways they can do that. Um, one way is they can tax you, the citizen. And a taxation is that they just look at your income or your assets or some flow and they take some of that, right? That's a, you know, um, you live in a society, you agree to be taxed, but it's a, it's a taking. Um, that tax rate is you know, the income tax or the capital gains tax. Or there's lots of different types of taxes, but a tax is just government re reaches in and takes some of your stuff, percentage. Um, and you know, we consider that fair so long as they do it to everyone and they use, it, use that money to create public goods that benefit us all. So it's, a, it's not a controversial concept, but it is a, it's a, there's a mechanism there. Yep. The other way they can do it, the more sneaky way, the way that is less understood, is they can take it by just printing money directly themselves. Yeah, um, that's called inflation. Um, inflation is a tax, is a type of tax. Um, it's a tax on spending power, not a tax on 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 flows of of, of um, income. Um, inflation taxes are the worst sort of ones. <laughs> the ones that have, historically they have destroyed societies. Um, they're ones that governments like to do because they're that you don't feel them. They're um, there are you know governments just directly print money. They take that money, they spend it. Right, that's an inflation yep. tax. Say, so, well, why is that a bad thing? Because the money that you're holding is now less worth less. Yeah. Because of the due to the amount of money they spent um, over the past during this COVID period, um, countries every almost every country in the world has not raised tax rates to deal with the vast amounts of public spending. They've just printed the money directly, um, a, a mechanism called quantitative easing. Um, but there's, it's, it's, it's an inflation tax, right? Um, the thing about direct taxes is that they're politically unpopular. The thing about inflation taxes is that they're far more destructive, but people don't tend to complain about them because they don't notice them until they're too late. Yeah. Um, how you know an inflation tax is happening is that asset prices will start to spike. Um, this is, you can see this in the share market and housing market right now is that there's enormous increase in those yeah, assets. Sure. So the thing about inflation is it's also an arbitrary reallocation of wealth. It takes money from those that are holding cash or assets um, and shifts it to those that are holding debt. So it's an arbitrary reallocation depending upon whether you're in credit or debt. Um, and so it's 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 that now um, any currency that you can do that to is a fiat currency that's a soft money so soft monies are capable of being inflation inflated yeah um, governments love soft monies precisely because they have that capability citizens tend to not usually care that much until it's too late um, soft money societies are the majority of societies historically um, but Hard money currencies are ones we, that you, where a government can't do that. If a government wants to raise money, it has to tax the citizens directly or borrow from the citizens. Um, hard money societies in, 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 in the past have always been based on gold. So the gold standard was a hard money society where um, all money that was circulating was ultimately redeemable for gold. 
gold makes it hard because there's a relatively fixed supply of it. Um, so it's the it's the fixed supply of money that makes a money hard. Right. Um, a fiat currency like the Australian dollar, like the US dollar, is a soft money in the sense that there's no limit to it. It can be printed as much as you like. It's just the only constraint is the willingness of the central banks to to, to issue it. Um, a gold standard currency is one that is backed by gold where the central banks are promising to redeem any money that's circulating for a unit of gold that they're storing in their vaults. And you know, think Fort Knox or this yep. imaginary notion of a, of a vast storage of, of, of gold. <laughs> in the background. So cryptocurrencies are sometimes called digital gold. And the reason they're called digital gold and digital gold is a very good description of Bitcoin. Um, it, it's digital gold. Um, the thing about gold is that there's actually, it's, it's, it's relatively fixed in supply. But if we want more gold, we can just go out and dig, and dig for it. And when the price of gold goes up, we, we dig even harder. Um, yeah. So we can, we, we, you know, we can still increase that quantity. Bitcoin is harder than gold because there is 21 million Bitcoins and that's it. Doesn't matter what happens to the price, there's never going to be more of those. We can't dig for more of them um, if, if the price sufficiently goes up. So that notion of Bitcoin as, a, as the hardest of money, is, it's... There is no money harder than Bitcoin. It's harder than gold. Gold is harder than fiat, and so on. So, it, but it's 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 the 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 reason Bitcoin is a hard current, a hard money, is because it is absolutely um, mathematically fixed in its supply. Now, not all cryptocurrencies are like that. Um, Ethereum was relative was increasing in quantity for quite a long time. They're starting to sort of reduce the supply now. Um, Dogecoin, everyone's favorite yeah. <laughs> meme coin, is basically the Bitcoin code base, but without the supply restriction. So Dogecoin is soft Bitcoin, basically. Wow. Okay. So that's why you know, economists look at Dogecoin and go, I don't understand why that has any value at all. <laughs> but I look at Bitcoin and go, I know exactly why that has value. So you specified a number there of Bitcoins. And we hear about Bitcoin miners. So you're telling me that the number of Bitcoin is fixed. However, there are people mining for Bitcoin. Can you explain that relationship? Yes. yes. So um, mining is a mining for Bitcoin is a metaphor, obviously. So um, and it's a metaphor that that I think Satoshi Nakamoto actually used the phrase initially. But what Bitcoin miners are doing, um, Bitcoin mining is done by just large banks of computers um, that are just simply um, performing complex calculations, burning electricity um, in order to deal with the problem of um, how do I choose the next block in the blockchain? Right? That's, that's what mining is trying to solve. This is how do I um, choose which node, which computer gets to propose the set of transactions that they gather together in a block and say, these transactions are true and good and add them to the blockchain. Um, what mining is doing is just as a process for randomizing which computer gets to do that. Because if it wasn't random and I knew my computer was about to do it next, I can, I can write whatever I like to that. I, yep. can, I can steal money. So it's yep. a security measure. It's a security. Mining is the, is, the, is the solution to the how do we provide security in a decentralized protocol? Um, how we provide security in a centralized protocol, like the banking system, is we trust the banks. In the crypto world, how we provide security is we do mining, and mining is a, is a costly operation. Now, the reason that 
miners. Again, miners are just say you or me running some computers. We could be miners. Um, we're burning electricity. We're using computers time and energy. The reason we do that is for the possibility of getting a block reward. Um, technically, what's called the Coinbase. Um, if my if 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 I um, burn all this energy, perform all these com computations, get the correct nonce, um, which which is the which which satisfies the criteria of a of, of a of a um, of a successful block proposal. If I'm the one that's chosen out of thousands or you know tens of thousands of computers for that one, I get um, six point two five bitcoins. Right. right. Uh, so the, the protocol will put six point two five bitcoins into my mining wallet um, in return for me performing that costly operation of buying the computers and burning the electricity. Right. Um, so that's what mining is. It's it's running computers to provide security in return for a, prob a statistical probability of of being awarded some bitcoins. Now at the moment. Um, those bitcoins that may, would mean if, if my block got proposed, that's six bitcoins, that's what, sort of quarter of a million dollars um, for doing that. Now, um, given that there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of other computers trying to compete, I might only get that once every, you know, however many cycles. But mining is a rational economic operation. You're doing it for, you're investing in capital to provide security to the network in return for a reward. Paid, paid in the native currency. Um, so Bitcoin mining is a business in the same way that gold mining is, right? Okay. You, you dig holes in the ground and you, um, and you get paid in gold. In part two of this interview, we cover topics like where newly mined Bitcoin comes from and what that means and how the perception is changing to the point where the entire world economy will simply be on the internet. So make sure you tune into that episode as well. If this story resonates and you think a friend or colleague would benefit, then please share this episode with them. And for more information, you can visit the RMIT Blockchain Innovation Hub at rmitblockchain.io. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more, visit the website, central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening.